want to talk to you this morning about worship. Because I think this is such a, a critical aspect to our faith as believers in Jesus Christ. And it's a critical aspect in our walk with the Lord. But sadly, worship, to me, it seems to be one of the most neglected aspects for many Christians. And I wonder why is that? Why do we neglect worship? How could the worship of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very one that we call Savior, ever be neglected in the life of a Christian? How is that? And honestly, I think it may be because a lot of Christians have a wrong understanding about worship, right? A wrong understanding about worship can lead us into a misguided approach to worship. We got to be careful. So I'm going to try to clear up some misconceptions about worship this morning from Scripture, because if we have a correct teaching, right, then we can have a correct practice. And so that's what we want to do. We want to offer up a correct teaching that will lead us into a correct practice. And most of you know, I'm sure living here in Oregon, especially during the COVID-19 era, we're always hearing about the three W's aren't we? You've probably either heard them or read about them. The three W's, wear a mask, watch your distance, and wash your hands. Anybody heard that? Yeah, we hear that a lot. And you know what? Not all of those suggestions rather, are bad. They're probably all very good, in fact, but none of them will help me to become a better worshiper. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be faithful in every aspect of our walk with him. And that includes, obviously, worship. And so this morning, I want to look at the three W's of worship. Okay, so if you're a note taker, you can write this down. I want to talk about the who, the what and the why of worship. What is worship? Whom do we worship and why do we worship? I mean, if we can just get these three basics down, okay, then I think that we're going to be well on our way to becoming the kind of worshipers that our Heavenly Father is looking for, which, by the way, are worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's John chapter 4, verse 23. So I want to start this morning with the what of worship, okay? What is worship? If someone asked you to describe worship in one sentence or less, how would you do that? I think I would say something like this. Worship is to ascribe worth, right? It's worth-ship. I think I would also say something like, well, it's adoration, it's reverence, it's surrender. And I think all of those are really, really great words to describe worship. And by the way, you know we're all created as worshipers, right? We're all going to worship something. But I like how the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible describes worship. They say it like this. They say the expression of reverence. Worship is the expression of reverence and adoration of God. Amen. I think they're exactly right. God is the center and the focus of our worship. But one of my personal favorite ways to describe worship is like this. It's to simply say worship is an appropriate response to the grace that I've been given. That's how I view worship. I mean, worship should be something that just springs up naturally from a thankful heart that's been forgiven and changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you will remember there were 10 lepers that Jesus cleansed in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 15 through 17 specifically. 10 of them got cleansed. One of them returned to give him glory. Just one. 
we need to understand that Scripture teaches us that worship is also a command. And we're going to talk more about that in just a bit. But this gives you some idea of what worship is, okay? But when we get to the question of who is worthy of our worship, well, as Bible-believing Christians, we understand that to be the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And Him alone. I mean, that's it. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that seems pretty obvious. And it is. It's very obvious. But I don't want you to take anything for granted here, okay? I don't want you to just take my word for it, right? I want to go to Scripture to find out if that's in fact true. Okay, so let's look at some scriptures. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn with me to the book of Revelation. We're going to start there. It's always a good practice when you're searching for truth to go to the Word of God. Amen. So we're going to start in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read down through the first six verses. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants... Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God and the Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Remember that word glory from verse 6, okay? Because this is going to give us some insight into why we worship. Now let's flip over a little bit further and read Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. It says this, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created now remember the words give glory from verse 9 and you are worthy to receive glory from verse 11 okay because what we're learning here is that God's creation is responsible for giving God glory and God is worthy of receiving that glory In other words, we owe it to him. Okay, we owe him that. Let's read Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. Flip all the way to the back of the book. It says this. Now I, John, saw and heard things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, this is the angel speaking. I love this part. See that you do not do that. (laughs) Amen. For I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, the last sentence, worship God. Look again at the last two words in verse 9. A short two-word sentence that simply says, 
worship God. My friend, Scripture is clear that we are to worship God alone. That's it. And it's because He alone is worthy. God gets the worship and God gets the glory. All of it belongs to Him. It's His, right? Now, some of you may be wondering, okay, so why are we talking about glory? I thought this was going to be a lesson on worship. Well, it is. It is. Because you see, our worship and God's glory are connected. They are absolutely connected, and it's very important that we understand that. So let's look a little bit deeper into what is God's glory. What is that? Well, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible describes it this way. They say that God's glory is the singular splendor of God, and check this out, and its consequences for mankind. Do you see how connected they are? Our offering of worship And God's glory, God's splendor, in other words, his glory has an effect or a consequence on mankind or for mankind. In other words, what is our response to the fact that God is glorious? How do we respond to that? Remember my answer from earlier to the question of what is worship? I said that worship is my appropriate response to the grace that I've been given. Right now, that's not a bad definition of worship. I think it's a pretty good one. But I also think that maybe an even better one would be worship is my appropriate response to the glory of God. That may be a better definition right there, because whether I choose to worship God or not, that does not make him any less glorious at all. God is glorious, regardless of whether or not I acknowledge that with my worship. Here's something else about God's glory. God's glory, his glory is one of his attributes. Glory is an attribute of God. God's glory refers primary, primarily rather to his beauty, his majestic beauty, you might say, or his splendor. But it also refers to the recognition of it by his creation. However, it's also a reality about God that just embraces his holiness. Okay, and what do I mean by that? Well, I want to look at some more scriptures to help define this about God's glory being an attribute, embracing his holiness and so on. Most of you probably have Romans chapter 3, 23 memorized, right? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? So to sin is to fall short of that glory. It's to miss the mark. It's to not quite measure up. Right. The scriptures also record praise to his glorious name. That's Nehemiah chapter five or chapter nine, verse five. And remember, we're talking about God's glory as one of his attributes here. All right. Ephesians chapter one, verse 17 describes him as the father of glory. Psalm 24 refers to him as the king of glory. In Psalms 57, Psalm 108 and Psalm 113, he is exalted above the heavens and his glory is over all the earth. Acts chapter 7 verse 2 tells us that he is the God of glory that appeared to the patriarchs. And then Isaiah 42 8 says that he is jealous to maintain his glory and unwilling that it be given to anyone else. In Psalm 79 and Isaiah 48, we read that God acts to bring glory to himself. 
That's because it's one of his attributes, right? He is the God of it. He is the father of it. He is the king of it. It's his. It all belongs to him. We also see our appropriate response to God's glory in Scripture. That's everywhere in Scripture. We see that the glory of God is proclaimed by His creation. Psalm 19, Psalm 97, and Romans chapter 1, verse 20. We see in many places all throughout Scripture that God's glory is revealed by His mighty acts of salvation and deliverance. And I have a list this long that I can give you for scripture references, if you'd like to see me after the message, I'd, I'd be happy to share those with you. I won't go into them now. But another common, very common theme all throughout scripture is that God's glory is the theme of the praise of men. And again, I have a long list of references here. So if you're a believer and if you're a follower in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's glory should be the theme of your praise. Are you getting that? The theme of your worship, that's your response. This is the why of our worship, because God is glorious. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter writes, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now, of course, in the immediate context here that Peter is writing, he's addressing the pilgrim Jews of the dispersion here. Right. But in the broader context, and because all scripture is profitable for instruction and righteousness, that's Second Timothy 316. We can apply this teaching to our lives as believers today. And so what's that teaching? Here it is. Peter said, you're chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, one of our chief purposes as God's people is to proclaim his praises. What a privilege it is to proclaim the praises of the very one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, if you lack purpose this morning, believer, I want to encourage you to find your purpose in proclaiming the praises of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been brought out of darkness into the light, and he is worthy of your praise. Make no mistake about that. Well, not only is it a privilege to praise our Lord, Scripture makes it very, very clear that worship is also a command. I mentioned this earlier. Let's look a little bit further into that thought now, okay? Scripture tells us that worship is a command. One of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible about worship is First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. And you're welcome to turn there with me this morning if you want. Psalm 29, verse 2 is also very, very similar to First Chronicles 16, 29. But I think for me, this passage of Scripture really sums things up for me. Okay, And it describes worship in a way that really helps me to keep the right perspective. Scriptures like these, they explain the truth about worship. Okay, they tell me things like, you know what? It doesn't matter how you feel. God is still worthy of my praise. Scriptures like this tell me that worship is not about standing up or sitting down. It's not about singing hymns or modern worship songs. Worship is all about the God who deserves it. That's what worship is about. Listen to First Chronicles sixteen twenty nine. It says, give to the Lord the glory do his name. 
Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I love this passage of scripture. And then the very, the very first sentence of verse 30 says this. Tremble before him all the earth. When's the last time you trembled before God? Guys, when I read verses like this, it's convicting. It convicts me. But it should completely change our perspective on worship. Worship is not about me. Worship is not about you. And I think what many modern Christians have turned worship into today is frankly embarrassing. We've turned it into a list of preferences. We've turned worship into a list of likes and dislikes. What pleases me? Is it too hot or too cold in here? Is the music too loud or too soft? Are we singing the right songs or the wrong songs? It's all about what pleases me. But the word of God says, give to the Lord the glory due his name. That's what the Bible says. You see, worship is about giving. It's not about getting. It's our response to the glory of God. When we worship, we are acknowledging and recognizing his glory and his name. And he is worthy, my friend, of each and every note of it. David said it this way. It's do him. It's do him. Well, David also said here in this verse that our worship is to be both beautiful and holy. That's interesting. And I think that's because worship is really not beautiful unless it is, in fact, holy. Right. Which is to say set apart to God alone. Okay, in other words, when we worship, we keep nothing back for ourselves. Okay. We keep none of our desires for this world and we offer ourselves completely up to the God who deserves it. In our worship, we should be begging God to sweep out every dark corner of my heart and wash me clean. You see, our lives are to be set apart in holiness to worship God alone. And ultimately, what we do when we worship is we surrender. Both hands in the air is a sign of surrender, isn't it? And it's beautiful. I'm telling you, it's beautiful when believers set themselves apart in holiness to worship God in absolute, complete surrender. I personally believe that that's a fantastic way to give God the glory that is due his name. Now, worship, it starts in the life of the individual believer. OK, that's where worship actually starts. It starts in your quiet time. It starts when you study and when you pray and when you worship in your own time. Every day. But personal holiness is, is where it begins. That's where worship starts. But then check this out. Our worship culminates collectively, okay, in the church right here. When we gather together corporately to worship in the beauty of that holiness. Isn't that great? I've often told my worship teams in the past, you know what? The kind of worship that you're going to see here today corporately on Sunday morning is a direct result of the, of the worship that took place in the hearts of those individuals throughout the course of the week. That's how it works. 
How a church worships on Sunday is a reflection of how the people of that church worship on Monday through Saturday. Worship that's alive, anointed, spirit-filled. It comes from Christians who, guess what, are anointed and spirit-filled and vibrant and growing in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the opposite is true as well, right? Worship that's cold and stiff and stale. Well, you've got a pretty good indicator as to why. And so the truth is, how we worship in private will affect how we worship in public. A surrendered private life to Jesus Christ will result in a surrendered public life to Jesus Christ. And make no mistake about it, our worship is to be public. Not everyone likes to hear that, but it's true. I mean, especially if you're an introvert like me, stuff like this can be terrifying. Worship is to be public? Wow. Yeah, but our personal walk, listen, our personal walk with Christ doesn't mean much without our public profession of Christ. Remember, worship is a command in the Bible. In fact, I'll go a step further than that, okay? It's not just a command. Public worship is also a command that we see in Scripture. Listen to this. Psalm 95 verse 1 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. You guys, this is the worship within a community of believers. Look at Psalm 149 verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Uh-oh. Yeah, new song. We're going to sing new songs. And His praise in the assembly of the saints. Amen. Oh, how beautiful it is when God's people who are living in humble obedience to His Word gather together to praise Him. It's beautiful. And then what happens, Christian, is He is given the glory that is due His name. All right, so that's why we worship. Why do we worship? It's to give God the glory that is due His name. So if you're a note taker, I'll recap this shortly for you. The who of worship is Jesus. Only He is worthy. The what of worship is to express our reverence and our adoration to Christ. In other words, that's our response to His glory. The why of worship is to give Him the glory that is due His name. And I want to give you a couple of side notes to take with you here as well. And this is going to be for personal application, okay, for all of us. Because we need to understand that when we come to worship publicly or congregationally, we really only have an audience of one. We need to understand that. Now, that's probably become cliche. It's an overused phrase, but you know what? It's true. Worshipers of Jesus Christ have an audience of one. We don't come to worship to receive acceptance or praise from men. Not at all. First Chronicles 16.29, we just read it. It says, Oh, worship the Lord. He is our focus. He is our audience. So we don't need to be looking over our shoulder during worship, do we? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. The second thing to remember here is that we need to encounter our Creator when we worship. We need to encounter Him, right? We don't need to pretend 
or just go through the motions. That's not what any of this is about. It's about encountering your creator. Again, First Chronicles 16, 29. Bring an offering and come before him. That means into his presence. Come before him into his presence. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Psalm 22, verse 3, which is the quintessential psalm of the cross, says this, but you are holy, enthroned in the praise of Israel. And I love this because that word enthroned literally means to inhabit or to dwell. Okay, so you could literally read Psalm 22, 3 like this. God inhabits or dwells in the praises of his people. How great is that? I mean, that's incredible. What a promise you have, believer, in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know God more? Do you want a walk that is closer to Him? (laughs) Then worship Him. Worship Him. Get into the presence of God and encounter your Creator. And I'm talking about both privately and publicly. All right, how about this? Here's something that maybe you haven't really considered before as you think about worship. And though it's true that we should not ever let ourselves become distracted by what others might think of us as we worship, that's very true. But have you ever thought about how your worship may affect someone else? We should think about that. For example, how does my worship affect someone who does not know Christ Or maybe someone who is struggling in their walk with Christ. Does my worship, how I worship, does that have any effect on them at all? We need to think about that. Because here's the deal. Obviously, we want other people to come to know Jesus Christ, right? Yes, we do. I'll answer that. And obviously, we want others to have a closer walk with the Lord. Absolutely. Well, then I want you to check something out. This is wonderful. In scripture, not only can we encounter God in our worship, but our worship is also a witness. It is a witness. It's an outreach. Our worship is a form of evangelism. Look at first Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23. It says this, sing to the Lord all the earth. And then here it is. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Did you catch it? Our singing. Our worship is also our proclamation that Jesus saves. Amen. Psalm chapter 40 verse 3 says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. And listen, many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Amen. Wow. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have an amazing opportunity to show those without a God to worship how we worship ours, the one true God. Amen. What a privilege. What an honor. I mean, what an amazing opportunity you have, believer. And what an important, a very important responsibility you have. You see, when you refuse to worship, you're refusing to witness. Psalm 40, verse 3. When you refuse to worship, then you are disobeying a command from Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And when you refuse to worship, then you're refusing to give God the glory that is due His name. 1 Chronicles 16, 29. So church, worship 
is critically important. It's vital, not just for you personally, but for those around you. And we should never forget that. All right, so what's the point here this morning? What are some takeaways from the message? And I understand that that could be different for each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit is dealing with our hearts in different ways, okay? So listen to him. But I want to speak to just the guys for a minute, just the men. Ladies, you don't have to leave. You can stay with us. You can listen in on the conversation. But guys, this is for you because unfortunately for us guys, worship can oftentimes be very difficult. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, guys, generally, we tend to be more stoic when we worship than women do. And why do you think that is? Is it our pride? I mean, does worship just not seem macho enough for most guys? I don't know. But I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Here's what he said. He said, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Interesting. So what do we learn here? I think the first thing we learn is that prayerful worship, okay, it requires faith. Paul said, don't doubt Okay? And it also requires us to be calm. It requires us to have a cool temper. Paul said, without wrath. Paul also said that his desire was that they lift up holy hands. And the truth is, men, worship can be emotional. It can. And guys tend to be less emotional. But worship should come from a joyful calm spirit before the Lord. And guys, we tend to be uptight. We tend to be hot-headed. Or you could say quick-tempered. Worship should be expressed in faith, but guys, what we do is we tend to get impatient. Guys are doers. We have trouble waiting on God. Listen to me, men. We need to calm down and control our tempers. We need to get our hands in the air, in complete surrender. And we got to wait on his timing. Don't run ahead. Wait on him. And then let your heart worship. Let it go. Worship. Give it all over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often during our times of worship, men are just trying to see how far down they can shove their hands into their pockets. I've seen it. Trust me. Stiff arms, stiff necks, big old frown, and a stone heart. That's not worship. That's not worship. In fact, I want us to look at what real worship looks like for a man. I want to look at the man that was after God's own heart to see how he worshiped. Maybe we can get some insight here. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. It says this. Thus, all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. Verse 29, and it happened. 
as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, that'd be David's wife, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music. And she despised him in her heart. Do you see the difference between a heart of worship and a heart of stone? And look here. It's not always the men, is it? No. The Bible says David danced before the Lord. That's what whirling means. He was dancing before his king. That's right. And he was doing it uninhibited and unashamed. He was unaware and unconcerned with what the people around him thought about that. Now, David, he doesn't seem like your typical dude, does he? (laughs) No, that's because he wasn't. David was a man after God's own heart. According to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. So let me ask you this morning, are you after God's own heart? Are you? Don't answer that too quick, because if you say yes, then I'm going to ask you, then do your actions reflect that? Look, David's wife got ticked. She did. Okay. when the worshipers came to town, she got mad. But remember the wrath that Paul spoke of? Remember that? First Timothy two eight. The truth is, some people find genuine worship offensive. But you know what David thought about that? We see his response in Second Samuel chapter six verse twenty two. I love this response. David said, "You know what? I will be even more undignified than this, and I'll be humble in my own sight." He said, "You know what, Michael? That little dance party you just saw." You ain't seen nothing yet. I'll become even more undignified than that if I have to, to give God the glory that is due his name. And I want you to pay attention to me this morning, men, because you know what? David is showing us exceptional leadership here. And he was actually being a great husband as well. How? Well, because David was being a God pleaser instead of a man pleaser. Some of you have probably heard the phrase, You know, as men, we're actually the pastor of our home. And that's true. I completely agree with that. As the husband of the home, as the dad, you're the pastor of your home. But how many of you have ever considered that we're also the worship leaders of our home? We are. Guys, our families, they're going to have to decide for themselves whether or not they follow our lead. All right. I mean, Michael got mad at David for how he worshiped God. But look here, the result of her stone-hearted decision to not follow her husband led God to make her unable to bear children for the rest of her life. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 23. So what does that tell us? It tells, it tells us that sin has consequences, doesn't it? Absolutely. And worship is what? A command. Right? So don't disobey that command. We've talked about that this morning. But regardless of whether or not our families decide to follow us, men... We must lead them in our worship of the Lord. It's our responsibility. So don't be derelict in your responsibility to lead. I've got to tell you, one of the most powerful things that I've ever seen in a church setting is a full-grown man, an older man, in the front of the church, on his knees, his hands lifted toward heaven, in complete surrender and humility before his God. That's powerful. That's beautiful. 
You know what else it is? It's biblical. It's very biblical. Just a couple of more things for you this morning, and then I'll wrap it up. One of my favorite books that I often recommend to people who want to grow in their worship of the Lord, it's, it's this book right here. It's called The Songs of Jesus. It was written by Tim Keller. And it's a great little book. It's, it's just a short little daily devotional, and it takes you through the entire book of Psalms in one year. And so each day you read a portion of the Psalms, and then he has a short commentary, and then he offers a prayer. And uh, I've personally grown a lot in my reading of this book. I've gone through the whole thing at least twice, and there's several parts in here that I've been through many, many more times than that. I started reading it years ago. But it's really helped me to see Jesus in the Psalms better than I really ever had before. It's deepened and it's enhanced my worship of my God. And so I highly recommend it. And so I want to read just a couple of short sections for you this morning. We've been talking about worship. We've been talking about the glory of God. And I want to let you hear some of what Pastor Tim Keller says about that. In his commentary of Psalm chapter 24, he writes this. He says, what is God's glory? It is his infinite weight, his supreme importance. To glorify God is to obey him unconditionally. To ever say I'll obey if is to give something else more importance or glory than God. But while glorifying God is never less than obedience, it is more. God's glory also means his inexpressible beauty and perfection. It does not glorify him then if we only ever obey simply out of duty. We must give him not only our will, but our heart as we adore and enjoy him as we find him infinitely attractive. And there's no greater beauty than to see the Son of God laying aside his glory and dying for us, according to Philippians chapter 2. And he offers this prayer. He says, Lord, you loved me enough to lose all of your glory, even though you owned the world and everything in it. Show your glory to my heart, to my family, and to the society I live in as well, that they may all say to you, come in. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Here's what he writes in his commentary on Psalm 66. He's talking about making praise glorious. He says, everyone is called to praise God. The content of this praise is God's name. All the things he is and he does. The character of this praise is to be glorious. What is glorious praise? Glory has connotations of weightiness, dignity, magnificence, and beauty. Glorious worship is exuberant, never half-hearted. It is attractive, not off-putting. It is awesome, never sentimental. It's brilliant, not careless. It points to God, not to the speakers. It fits its great object. It seeks to be as glorious as the one it praises. So worship should never be trivial, never pretentious. There's nothing more evangelistic. Nothing that will win the world more than glorious worship. Amen. And then he prays, Lord, so much of our public worship of your church is indeed trivial and pretentious. Let my church and churches across the world begin to praise you in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. 
Grant us anointed worship, so beautiful that it attracts even those whose hearts are hardened toward you. Amen. Well, I'm going to close by giving you four things to recap what we've talked about already. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you four things to recap what we've talked about. And then I want to give you four more things to remember as you go throughout the rest of your week this week. The four primary things that we talked about this morning is worship is an encounter with the living God. The second thing is worship is reserved for God alone. Number three, worship is giving to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Number four, our worship is a witness. Those four things answer the three W's of worship. It answers the who, the what, and the why. And the four things that I want you to take with you for application this week, as all of us strive to become better worshipers, and and none of us have arrived yet, right? We're all on a steady progression toward heaven. We can all improve in our worship to our God. But those four things are ability, acceptance, Access and approach. Okay, number one, our ability to worship is only because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. That's Hebrews chapter 10. Number two, our acceptable worship is to be offered in reverence and fear for God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And we have number three, we have constant access to God. When we draw near to God, He draws near to us. That's a promise from Scripture, James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And then number four, We should approach the throne of grace continually, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So in other words, our worship should be 24-7, not just a couple of times during the week when we come to church. Remember what I said? It starts in the life of the individual, and it culminates collectively when we gather in his house. Let me finish by reading John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. But the hour is coming... And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I want to give you a little inside baseball on what verse 24 actually says. The word worship is used twice there in verse 24. And the first time John uses it, it's a verb and he uses it in the present active tense. The second time he uses the word worship, it is again a verb and he uses it in the present active infinitive tense. What does that mean? It means, believer, that your worship to your God is present. It's right now. It's active. You are responding. You are responsible. You have something to do, something to give. And it's infinite. It's unending. Now and for all of eternity. This verse could read like this in John chapter 4, 24. It could read like this. God is spirit and those who are worshiping him actively now must always and forever worship him in spirit and truth. You see, we must worship God now because we're going to be worshiping him for all of eternity. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that. Unending praise to the glory of his name. Amen. Don't you want to join in with the chorus of heaven? You can. You can. Because our father is seeking spirit filled, spirit led 
worshipers of truth. You have an opportunity. And I say, let's be that kind of worshiper. How about you? Father, we love you and we thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that we see here. It is convicting. But it's also comforting. The promises that we see in your word comfort us. We know that we're going to be worshiping you before your throne throughout glory for all of eternity with unending praise to the glory of your name. And you deserve every bit of it. Lord, we owe everything to you. Every good thing comes down from the Father of lights. Everything we have that is good in our life is because of you. And we worship you because of that. Not just because you give us good things, because you're worthy. You're worthy of our praise. So Lord, help us to not be derelict in our duties to give you that glory that is due your name. You've got it coming to you. How dare I ever withhold one note of praise from my king. Lord, I want to be a worshiper. I want to be the kind of person that you're looking for. The one you're seeking. Who worships you in spirit and in truth. I want to be that kind of person. Through the strength of your Holy Spirit, would you help me to be that? Would you help all of us to be that? There may be someone here today who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from Scripture. If you'll turn from your sin, confess it. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, who laid down his life for you and then took it up again in his resurrection so that you could have the same hope of eternal life. Believe that. You can be saved. Confess that. And Lord, for the rest of us, would you help us this week in our quiet time to learn how to be worshipers? So that when we gather in our churches next week, it'll look different. It'll sound different. The praise will be more glorious. The worship will be more alive and spirit-led and spirit-filled. So condition our hearts, Lord, throughout the course of this week to meet with you among our brothers and sisters next week in the assembly of the saints. We love you, Lord. We worship you and we worship you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.